You're listening to The People's Pitch, the official podcast of Minneapolis City Soccer Club, brought to you by footballstadiumprints.com. Let's start the show. And as I talked about just a couple minutes ago, as Joe Watt stands over this one, he appears to be the one taking the penalty here. Uh, this is a huge confidence booster if you're a Duluth. Worst case Elder scenario for here City for right more. here. And it's stopped! Yes! And it's stopped! Totally Matt redeems Elder. himself. <laughs> Matt Elder redeeming himself. Oliver with the right foot. The shot is oh, Oliver! Justin Oliver will break the scoreless tie. Then it is 1-0 Minneapolis City. It's Hutton now on the offense with the left foot. And it is now 2-0 Minneapolis City. Good finish. Nick Hutton taking his quick victory lap. Hello again, soccer friends. This is the People's Pitch, the official podcast of your Minneapolis City Soccer Club. I'm your host, John, with my with, with my riding super high on his first ever lower league E-Cup victory partner, V Nate Morales. <laughs> Nate, it happened, man. Have the, the champagne celebration stopped yet? John, if the feed cuts out, it's because the phone fell into the tub and the tub is pain. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I mean I'm taking it one victory at a time. I'm not. I'm not getting too excited. It was fun. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about. We'll talk about it a little bit deeper here in a little bit. We will talk about it this week. Uh, we've got a heavy show of kind of what we like to call the hodgepodge of soccer stuff to talk about. We've got the E Cup debut win for me. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the futures. They've been selected and they're ready to start their season. We started to see some of the kits. Uh, so that's pretty cool. They start their season next week, and we're going to talk about some key players to watch out for that the staff is really excited about. And then uh, there's a U.S. Soccer Federation presidential election coming up, and I think it's basically throwing a a, a dart. <laughs> that's all about just throwing a dart at what shitbag is is less full. So we'll talk about that, I suppose. <laughs> let's get this let's get this potpourri of of soccer talk going. First, John, I'm going to hijack the show. I know we've got a whole show coming up probably next week. We're planning on um, talking about and digging in more about what the hell's going on in St. Paul. But our I have annual, to ask. Our annual Minnesota United bitch fest. <laughs> At least once a year. Yeah, it happens uh, maybe twi- twice a year. Usually once before <laughs> the season starts, right around this time when they're building their roster. And then and once when. Like, what are they doing? And this, this, is no, this is no exception. I got to ask, John, did you see that Abu Dunlady re-signing? Of course I did. Of course we, I did. You know the team let our 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 first ever first round pick, our first number one overall pick, go in 2019 uh, by leaving him open to the expansion trap because he was so valuable. Apparently, uh, he's a mediocre striker that uh, you know by the end of his tenure at Minnesota United was flubbing shots left and right, and it was enough to to get his ass sent down to Madison for a game, which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, one real big game in Madison. I think he, mm-hmm. I think he, I think he only played like sixty minutes. Yeah, and so here we are, two ish years later, and Nashville did not renew his contract, and so he's back, having really never made an impact there at Nashville. I think two goals in twenty twenty and one goal this last year. I, I don't get it, man. Why would we want him back? So here's my take. Number one, um, I do have to feel for the guy a little bit. I think being being an off-injured striker 
we'll just put it at that. I mean, it's it, that's not that's not uh, going outside the lines here. That's kind of calling it calling. You know, it is what it is. He's an oft injured striker. He was in. He was oft injured in college. Um, when not injured and in a comfortable environment with low pressure, um, very dynamic and and a good role playing kind of secondary striker to someone else. Um, maybe that hold up play guy where he can kind of play off that, that person, definitely not the person to draft, to be the face of your franchise right off the bat Turns um, out for multiple reasons, some that I just <laughs> mentioned. So the pressure that he had on him to perform was, was a lot. And also you're in the shadow of when he came in that whole Christian Ramirez saga, uh, a guy who it was a performer um was always the guy with the chip chip on his shoulder but always performing i think his goals his goals per game average was like one in every like two and a half games so you're looking at a guy who produces and then you're you're supposed to like now be be the person who was then selected you know very high high value selection in in a in a draft and then you have that guy who's producing, and then you're not producing, then you get injured, and a lot of pressure. So I'll give him credit there, but I think this is just another instance, and we'll talk, like we, like we said, we'll talk about it at length on a different show, but it's just another in- instance of, like, who's really making the soccer de- decisions at Minnesota yes. United? Like, <clears throat> I can't believe that the coaching staff, like, just all of a sudden was like, hey, you know what we need? We need to bring this guy back in, and he's going to be different this time because yeah, we think we, we think we missed something last time. Mm-hmm. Like players at the high highest levels, um, specifically outside of the United States, um, but we've seen it in the United States. They don't change drastically. Like the Jamie Vardys of the world, like don't happen all the time, right? Like so, it's like it, it's it's one in a million. Basically, mm-hmm. and probably even larger than that, probably one in like a hundred million um, that that happens. I don't think Abu Dhanlandi falls in that category, but if you're looking at him to bring into the fold a guy who will be a willing bench player, who um, who will feature more for Minnesota United too, um, who might be willing to help out the younger strikers like Patrick Wea like find their way in the league. Great signing. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. He's going to end up being the person who will always be the, the, the guy who didn't perform the first time. So I think it's a bad idea. So again, it goes back to like who pulled the trigger on thinking this was good. The coaching staff, I don't believe that it had to be them. Um, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I don't believe this is a decision that maybe Amos would make. Um, Amos seems to be the guy who who was you know, leading the efforts for bringing in guys like Quintero, Amaria, even the, the bringing him back in. I think that 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 experiment failed a little bit, but but he was he was of of good pedigree. Menton and, and at least with at least with Amaria, it's like we brought him in. It was the COVID season, the weird one, the MLS's back tournament, and all that stuff. He got and hurt. He was, they forced. He got him hurt, but field. he was decent leading up to that, right? And then it's just like. How is it really worth fighting to work your way back in that kind of environment where you're not going to really, you're playing in a weird situation? Yeah, yeah. I totally get it. But then, but if you look at the other signs like Mentonera, Boxel, 
Um, who else do you have in there? Uh, Gregush, Lode, like these guys that are like performers, like those seem to be like, they, they kind of speak to me like Amos McGee signings. Um, so who else is making the decisions? I don't know. But my last stat, I mean, what's that? We're going to talk in depth about yeah, we got, another, we got... another day. We got, we got more of a show. Again. The last stat that I, that I, I saw on, uh, that revolves around Dunlandi is the rest of the top 10 players who followed him in his 2017 draft class um, have a collective 65 national team career appearances, and he has yet to finish a full MLS season healthy. Um, <laughs> so unless you're bringing this guy in to do those things I mentioned, um, this is a bad idea. <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. It's a bummer to me uh, that we I feel, went I with... feel for the guy. I feel for the guy. actually. Yeah. Would have preferred. It just felt like such a no brainer to say like, we're a brand new team. We can, there is a top, a consensus top five pick in a local player that year, Jackson Ewell. There's, you know what I mean? And like, we've got mm-hmm. Christian Ramirez, we've got Miguel Abar on the roster. We thought we were pretty comfortable there. I mean, I don't know. It just makes sense to go with the, like, take a, take a page out of the Minnesota twins book and just pick the local kid and see yeah. how he pans out. And you know, he's going to sell tickets yeah. and it turns out mean, we would have had a men's national team player on our hands, but instead we've got, uh, we've got Abu Damadi 3.0. So we'll see. <laughs> I, it's, it's weird, John, like despite having this coach who's known as the striker whisperer, United has had like terrible instincts and a terrible record around the strikers. Like it feels like Heath made his reputation on the back of like Dom Dwyer, who is one of the biggest flameouts and one of the biggest assholes in American soccer recently. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe that asshole trait is indicative of the problem over across the river. And I think that's what we're going to talk more about next week. But for now, I got a fat ass dub to talk about, dude. Yeah, you do. My last thing I'll say about that is um, they just also drafted another striker. <laughs> <laughs> who was, who was injured also in, injured. Yeah, injured in college. So apparently uh, history repeats itself. But anyways, uh, we do have a fat W to talk about. Uh, we were one of the founding members of the Lower League E-Cup three years ago uh, when COVID killed real soccer. And being part of this cup, no matter how silly it feels to say or to hear me say, it really helped us through scary parts of the pandy to give ourselves <laughs> and our fans like something city to rally around, right? Like we we like had a thing. It was like we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna be part of a FIFA soccer tournament and see how it goes. Flash forward after Jonah and Max both made their respective final matches. And we seem to perfect, I believe, how to broadcast digital soccer games. <laughs> our little ball of joy, Nate Morales, is our contender this year in the 2022 E-Cup. And like I noted in the beginning, was a victor in his first match. Nate, yep. you bested the representative from Nisa's Maryland Bobcats by a score of 3-1. to one. I did. First, thing, first things first, what was your early perception of the match and how you were feeling going into it? I was actually really nervous, John. Like, I can tell. To it, I can tell talking to you <laughs> for a couple of days and leading up to it, right up to the when it started. Like, I just kept thinking about how, yeah, I've crushed kids online six nothing, but I've been totally rocked by the same score, right? So I really had no idea what this competition was going to look like, and and more than anything, I didn't. I just did not want to get my ass waxed in front of the internet, like. <laughs> Just show up and just get destroyed. 
would be well, would would be a little bit embarrassing. Well, that's where my next question comes. Like, you know, we're doing something a little different this year with not having a player, but rather a member of the staff carrying the weight of the badge, I guess you could say, in this cup. <laughs> Did you feel obligated to carry the winning torch that we've had both on off the field? It sounds like it. I don't know about that. I mean, I think it was more just like I, w- I wanted to make sure that my pride didn't get hurt too bad. Like, you you guys had to know what you were getting into when you drafted me. It's like I'm a millennial at the top edge of the eight of that millennial age spectrum who drowns his stressful job in whiskey and escapes into video game soccer. So it's not like <laughs> <laughs> I've got like a family and I don't know. There's just like you just know that there's no way that. <laughs> the, well, you know, like, but, but it was it was it was a good choice for me in the second division. <laughs> well, low hanging fruit is like we find or we we let Jonah or Max, even though Max is not with us anymore, he's always with us. Let 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 one of those two play again, um, or open it up to you know a few of the other players that that play. But it, it just made sense for the move to progress in, in, you know, in three years of doing this to like try mm-hmm. something different and you are, are, are try something different. And I think, it, I think it works, you know, I, I mean, expectations, you know, no, just, no disrespect are low, right. Yeah. We're playing, we're playing the second division. Um, but you know, you, you did your job, man. Um, so next question, how was it having me mic'd up? Honestly, like, was it a distraction? Cause I really did my best not to get in your way. And I kind of feel, um, you know, it adds a little bit of a different spin on what we've done in the past because before it was just kind of like two of us talking about what someone else is doing. And now mm-hmm. it's like someone was invited into your living room and the two of us are just drinking beers, playing, having a good time. Yeah, it was actually super fun. I think next week I would say I'm o- totally open to you asking more like questions about gameplay, talking to me about that tactical approach because i was actually pretty proud of my prep work for this one i think mm-hmm. you know it's it the more we got to talk about hey nate what are you what are you thinking here like when you would give me pointers like ah maybe you want to transition out of the trend you know, like clear that ball faster transition into the counter faster things like that are like good to hear because you get kind of stuck in a rut sometimes just trying to keep in the game so well, that's how, that was super helpful I specifically mentioned that because you had three really bad turnovers in your defensive third in a row. And I was like, maybe it's time to kick the ball into the parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Right? Like, <laughs> you get stuck in that rut. Like, I just, here's, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to do. And it's just like, change the script. So I thought that was, that was really, that was valuable. So keep it up. That was, I liked it. Oh, good, good. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad my, uh, my coaching tutelage could, could help. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more later later in the show about my coaching tutelage. Um, but three to one is a good performance, so kudos to you, sir. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you learned in round one that you want to take into round two or maybe adjust? Yeah, well, you know, I want to point out that like that first goal was scored in like the first thirty seconds of the game. <laughs> oh yeah, there goes right? the, the, the nerves get amped up to a thousand at that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I I feel like I settled in, and I think the three goals to to close it out were, were, were pretty respectable. And I don't think he had many decent chances after that first, after, after I got caught off guard, I think really by that weird header. And I'm going to say that was totally like the computer's fault. When you look at like the AI mm-hmm. and how every center back was uh, in the opposite corner of the box from Sadio Mane, who was able to just like pounce and head it in, whatever. I'm not going to complain. 
I'm done complaining about that. But I think what I have to learn about is like speed of play is a little weird. It's a little slow. Um, so I got to adjust to that. I want to work on, I got to work on my dribbling and I got to work on defending the dribble. I think that's. Yeah. Not diving in early. That was one of the things I was going to mention, but that's the last mm-hmm. thing someone wants to hear when they're playing FIFA is like, stop diving in. You're like, well, fuck you. It's so fast. I got to, I'm trying to get the ball. <laughs> exactly. And the other, the last thing I'd say, John is like, I, I got to score more bangers. Like I took yeah. a lot of, I took a lot of shots from the top of the box and it just, you know, one hit the post and the others were saved. And I just got to, if I'm going to take those shots, they have to be, they either have to be in or I got to take a more high percentage shot. So that's it. I'm, I'm in for bangers, man. Yeah. I think next week's going to be interesting. This, this American outlaws guy won three to one also. So depending on how I do against that, I can probably lock in a knock, knockout stage berth. And, uh, but if he rocks my ass, I might have to worry about like the Delaware, I might have, might have to worry about what Delaware rising will bring. But if, mm-hmm. but if I can contend with him on a pretty even, even level, I think I have a pretty good shot the following week against Delaware Rising to get out of this <laughs> group stage. Um, I mentioned I, on the broadcast, man, one win, one draw, one ass kicking. That's all you need. The U.S. men's national team way. <laughs> yeah, it is. We'll talk about the U.S. <laughs> men's national team, uh, the federation here in a little bit. But if you're interested in checking out the match next week on January 18th, which happens to be my birthday, as well as Kevin Costner's birthday and oh. Magnum, Magnum P.I.'s birthday, Tom Selleck, Nice. Uh, you can uh, do so by hopping on our Twitch channel. It's twitch.tv slash MPLS City SC, where we will get the pregame started around 8.15, and then Nate gets going around 8.30 uh, for the match uh, versus a representative, as he mentioned, from American Outlaws. And we're pleased to announce that we're going to have a, um, a futures kit giveaway contest uh, that viewers of the match can participate in. So, uh, so t- tune in, get involved. Um, keep on the lookout on both the club and our show's Twitter handles um, in the next couple of days for more information on, on how you can get involved in that. Yeah. A few episodes ago, John, we uh, were graced with the presence of Jeremiah Johnson, who is the architect of the Futures program. Talked a little bit about re, uh, about year one, and he touched on some updates to what's going to happen in year two that uh, that is upon us here. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, you should go back and check that one out. And uh, trials, trial, they went through trials with the end, near the end of November, around Thanksgiving time. And uh, the player pool has been selected, and they're just days away from really boots hitting the turf for the 2022 class of the Minneapolis City Futures. John, you have talked a lot with the staff about some of the things that they're excited about this year, as well as some highlights from the trial process. What is the word? What, what kind of, what are you hearing around? anticipation about getting this this next class of the futures going yeah so i I did get the chance to catch up with them nate so it was it was super interesting to like hear what they have to say um i think the the real different sentiment from the group this season is like there's just like a a feeling of excitement that wasn't quite there in year one and i think that's Mm -hmm. um i think it's less a slight on the inaugural group of players that were in the program and and more of just how excited they are um, not only just about the group of players that's in for year two, but just how they can build off of the success success of the first campaign. Because I think that like the first year was like all the stress was on like, is this gonna work? Yeah. And and are we are we gonna like are we gonna fail? And failure was is in our club is is not an option, right? Like 
a lot of people say that, but like we truly mean it. Like we don't ever want to fail at anything we do. We will take those teachable moments and those learnings and turn them into success eventually, but we don't want to outright fail. And I think that Jeremiah and the coaching staff maybe had a little bit of that failure on mine. And, and that's not a disrespect at all either. It's just a reality. Like this could go wrong and we don't know what to expect. We just got to dive in and see what happens and, and the worst could happen. And I think if we lean on that a little bit too much in society, like the negative, right? Instead of like looking at all the positives. So I didn't get the, the sense that they were like, this is, it was all negative in the first year by any means. But um, but understanding that like talking to them, they're, they're just they're just excited. They're, there's just this like feeling of like, they can't wait to get started. And like, the, they want to talk about the players and like this guy and that guy, where he came from, what they think he can do in the club when he progresses into the senior level. So it's really cool to, to, to talk to them about it. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking is this year, they know it's a, it's a successful model. They understand how it's going to go and how it's going to benefit the players. And so really there's a lot of excitement up front around like, these guys are already really good. I'm already excited to see what they're going to do. And I really can't wait to see what, what happens in the summer, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we, we talked uh, with Jeremiah that the, the futures pool is going to be kind of reselected or retrialed for the UPSL spot. So, I mean, nice. if, if, I'm a, if I'm a 17, 18-year-old in the area, and I'm not, I'm not currently in like the, an MLS next situation across the river. I'm really looking at the, at, at trying to get, do whatever I can to get on that UPSL team. I mean, mm-hmm. from a, from a ability to progress your game, man, that, I mean, like, I wish I had that when I was 17, 18. I mean, I would have done everything I could, you know, even if I didn't make it during trials, I would have figured out how to get better quick and try to get, you know, back into their good graces. Um, But we talked to them a little bit about the trials last year versus this year in the the player selection process. And first things first, and really what was a shared sentiment um, is the number of trialists that were out this year. Um, Can't quite put a finger on, (coughs) excuse me, um, can't quite put a finger on why um, other than the streets talk, man, and I think that the word of mouth on how this really is the place for guys from 16 to 19, like I talked, like I just talked about, um, that are not in the clutches of MLS next, and like how this is like the place to be. Um, mm-hmm. And and the stats kind of speak for themselves. In in 2020, um, all said and done, 93 trialists um, from the guys that initially came out. I think there were probably 70 some trialists that came out for the initial trials and then the remainder came like through the open trial process um, or just like off the street guys, like like guys like Yasek that came in and were like, Hey, I, I want to play. And then he came out for a training session. They're like, you can play. <laughs> Come on in. Um, but there were, there were 93 total trialists in 2021, 130. So a significant a jump, a significant jump there. And then what I was also told is that they had reached capacity um, for trial. So 130 was the cap and they still mm-hmm. had more guys that were trying to come in. Um, but they had to push those trialists to the additional opportunities that we have as a club, which comes by way of open trials. And that, that I was told brought in an extra 40 players who are, um, teachers age eligible. Um, that, so that, I mean, that, like I said, like the word of mouth must have hit the streets because how do we, I mean, the, the staff between, um, between what Jay, what Jeremiah does, 
um, with recruiting, with what Eli and Brendan did by going to like almost every high school game ever um, this last fall. Um, and, and from some of the stuff that like, I shouldn't even say that I did. I mean, I didn't do a ton, but I did, you know, watch some games and identify a few players, but I didn't do nearly as much as those guys did, but uh, having 170 players with interest come in, that's something, something went right. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like from looking at, I think United two was excited about 80, some 80 people being at their trials. And I thought that feels low. Yeah. For, yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it that when I went to the, I think I went to group a night one of group A's trials just to kind of see what was going on. And that was, um, it was full. It was packed and all those kids were excited to be there. All those kids were good. I just, the energy out there for what, the opportunities that the future program has must just be, must be high in the soccer yeah. community, which is. Yeah. So then you boil that down and 50 players were selected. For, 50. Okay. For the, for the program. So a lot of no's were thrown out there, but a significant amount of yeses. So uh, we'll see. And and one thing I, I do want to note is that when, when a player isn't selected in the futures program, and this kind of goes into our open trials as well, the staff really looks at how that player or that individual handles the no. You know, if you get the guy that tells you to go F yourself, you're like, yep, never going to talk to that guy again. But if, if, if you handle yourself in a training a trial environment the right way when you don't get selected, mm -hmm. there's an opportunity that you weren't selected for like one specific reason. And that reason could be like player A who got selected offers that one thing the coaching staff was looking for and you were player b and if player a ever goes goes down with injury moves away um whatever it may be you're the next man up yeah. so if you don't make the trial right away handle yourself properly and there's a very high chance that when numbers are low for a training session because of whatever reasons um your phone might ring and that's your way in. And then that's your opportunity to see. So definitely if anyone's out there listening who who got to know, that that's your way in. So not only that, but I remember like even like Aiden O'Driscoll who didn't make the main club one of his first years mm -hmm. took his feedback to heart, right? Yeah. He was able to work on that specifically, come back year two and make the, make the team. I think he made MC2, mm -hmm. right? So like that's also important to hear that the coaches do actually give analysis on every, on everyone that was there. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some notes on you. There's going to be something that, uh, that you'll be able to walk away from, from this and be able to work on. And that's important, especially when you're talking about guys that are 16 to 18 years old. Yeah, absolutely. So the next one was, they talked about like uh, a few players of interest. And I mean, there's more than just three, they get, you know, the consensus was around, was around three, um, that, you know, the, the list probably was much longer and we cut it down to three. Um, but we've had quite a few prospects from, from year one last season that were super exciting when they came in and made the jump to the UPSL team, whether you're talking about Zach Susi, Yasik, Ben Schleeman, Jesse Juarez, and Jake Popkin, to name a few, um, they, you know, the, the staff tossed out a few, a few names for the season as well. Yeah, so um, you know, I'll talk about some of these guys. That I'm, I've got the list in front of me, and I'm gonna 
the pronunciation on this, John. You're gonna you're gonna kill me. But <laughs> what we'll, do you think we'll I talked to you? I talked mm -hmm. to you, so I didn't, I didn't butcher these names. So the first guy is a guy named Sadike Sadike Jabate, who uh, yeah. is, that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, so Sadike, um, actually, if if people uh, the name sounds familiar for a couple of reasons. Number one being that he was um, he's a new futures player. He was Mr. Soccer. Um, this fall at Park Center uh, High School comes by way of Maple Brook Soccer Club. Um, he also played on that Granite City UPSL team as a oh. high schooler. And if you remember that 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 playoff game, a close where, game. where Yasit scored the game winner in overtime, um, I thought Sadike was the best player on the field. Um, or or one of the best players on the field as a high schooler. I remember talking to Jeremiah, who I was sitting next to at the time. I was like, "Man, who's that guy?" And and Brendan Doyle, who's on our future staff, immediately interjected, was like, "He's a high school player, and next year I'm doing anything I can to get him into the futures program." And I was like, "Yeah, please do, because that guy will definitely be uh, one to watch." He's already received call ups to the first team trainings in the, wow. this winter. Um, uh, and from what the staff says, he's kind of a force to contend with whenever he finds himself on the field with his ability to create and score goals, which we love to hear. Um, and you kind of leave your, your, your head scratching a little bit. Like, um, how did he even see that, pull that off? Cause kind of can do the spectacular. Um, so a really exciting prospect that the, the team is looking for. And obviously first team coach, uh, MVB has already noticed that maybe it's time to bring him in and see what he can do with some of the senior guys. Nice. Uh, the next guy we want to talk about is someone that I'm actually excited to see here too, because there was a strong contingent of Karen players that were at the trial that I went to. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was amazing to see. I think there were at least 10, uh, 10 guys. Yeah. Maybe even, maybe even more than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all coming from our partnership with them, uh, the success, of course, of Ecusay. So the guy we want to focus on right now is uh, Ethel Mong. Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wouldn't have gone with uh, with that pronunciation, but we will. Um, but he's also new to the program, um, and I'll honestly say this: so Jonah Garcia, his his uh, his day job is uh, assistant coach and head of recruiting for Augsburg University, and I. On the first day of tryouts, I told him that this guy, like, figure out how a way to give this guy whatever he needs to to get into your program. Like, I, I feel like he just a difference maker. He's a defender, lockdown defender. He plays like a grown man and in, in within his age group. He, he comes by way of uh, St. Paul Humboldt High School and Blackhawk Soccer Club. And um, he, again, likes DK. A already been called up to some first team trainings and really no surprise um, that he helped his, his high school um, team to the state finals this fall. And, and from what I heard um, his thing is, is just clairvoyant like vision in, in his awareness that he brings to the defensive back line, um, which is something that is, uh, is an intangible date. Like the, the best of the best, in the back they're not just ball winners they're not just good defenders that take a you know take a ball off of, of of an attacker but they can they can read a game and that's really hard to teach so i know that yeah. they're really really excited about him nice the next guy is a kid named parker flynn another new player to futures um could be could be anywhere could play anywhere really yeah so he um he's a i think he's a transplant from i, I believe texas um uh, mm. somewhere somewhere down south 
Um, but he, uh, his, his family moved up here to, to Minnetonka. Um, and he, from, from go like at the high school level, at Minnetonka comes, comes through us, um, through Tonka fusion elite, just like an impact type player. Um, as with the other two already received call-ups into the first team training. Um, and, and he's kind of that Swiss army knife, um, that we've seen that we like about players. He kind of put them in different spots and they can kind of do different things. Um, but typically our, our jack of all trades type players have been more guys that we can move back defensively where he's one that you can move, move into the attacking end from, from the middle of the field. Um, super high technical ability. Um, he's got a ton of speed, um, that can be deployed on a wing or up top. Um, and I mean, he, he can change a game. He's, he's definitely uh, one of those true game changers, whether it's scoring a goal or it's, it's setting someone up. So all three of these guys, Nate, are, as we mentioned, are, are in senior training in some fashion and are, are bright future, no pun intended, for, for the club. Nice. And these guys are all going to be led by uh, a new group of mentor coaches. Last year, <laughs> last year the, futures, the Futures team each had a mentor coach, someone that was involved with the city organization that was able to, you know, that as not a full-time coach was able to still step in and do a little, give them, give the kids a little guidance. Um, This year we've got, we've got four more teams and four more mentor coaches who, uh, who will be leading the, the youngins to glory. Well, I mentioned last year, the, the four mentor coaches were Will Kidd, Aaron Olson, Joe Sway, and Jonah Garcia. So not a bad pedigree from a senior team perspective to be able to, to lead a seven-a-side team, right? Like those are, those are some names that have been around the club for a while, mm-hmm. um, also have, have been just in the game forever um, and, and have, un, have an understanding that they can kind of, um, drop down on, onto these players. Um, but as listeners know, I stepped in last year to help start the season coaching the team because Jonah was set up a school and, and work for the first part of the season. And somehow Nate, I've been cast responsible for the Wanderers <laughs> getting relegated because they finished in last place, but I, I pushed the blame on Jonah. Like I, that team in our first week. I think we got beat like eight nothing or eight eight one or nine one or something like that. I think it was definitely a, a goal differential around eight. Yeah. But after I feel that, like people people might just be trying to get under your skin. Yes, <laughs> and they are. They've they've done their job. It works. Um, it worked. But after that, we we tied the first place team and then we beat the second place team. And then I handed the the team off to Jonah and then look what happened. So I don't think it was my fault, but I will I will Take credit for them getting uh, th- them getting relegated, but this year's group of coaches um, is uh, is another great one. First and foremost, Jonah Garcia is coming back for a second year. I say that equates to him trying to recruit players for Augsburg. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why more not? Of, more of that than being, uh, but why not? Right? This yep. it's at his disposal. Might as well do it. And and I know Jonah is really works really well with uh, with the younger group of guys. Um, MC two player. Uh, from last season, Derek Ullman, who, uh, from an attacking perspective, if you're a young striker, played played overseas, um, you know, and and we saw what he could do with um, with working with a younger striker like like Cole Schwartz last year and Yasik. Um, so really great to have him in. Um, Tyler David, who joined oh, us wow. dur- during the fall with um, with our friendly our friendlies, and is going to be joining us full time. Uh, I don't know if I can say that yet, but 
uh, is planning to join us full time this fall. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, he has a wealth of professional experience. Um, played with the Des Moines Menace, um, who obviously isn't professional, but carries a big stick in the so- in the lower level soccer world. Being a uh, a member of the Des Moines Menace, also mm-hmm. played with Union Omaha um, in uh, in USL, and um, and just has decided to uh, to to stay. We'll call it stateside <laughs> in Minnesota, and uh, and and play with City this year, uh, and and pursue some things off the field. So really great to have him, have him involved. Um, and yours truly, John Bizworm, is getting a full season in what I like to call my redemption tour um, to show them that last season's relegation was indeed not my fault. So I, uh, uh, I, I, I took the call from, from Jeremiah and said, hey, you know, if, um, if you don't have enough coaches, I'd be more than happy to make the investment because not only do I want to redeem myself, but also like I really want to I, I really enjoy working with the younger players. And, and I feel like it's kind of, it's a good thing to have maybe someone from, uh, from, you know, maybe my, my seat at more of the top to, to come down and, and, you know, and introduce myself to these guys as one of the founders of the club and, and kind of impress some of my soccer knowledge on those guys and, and hear them out and, and, and understand what they want to do in their soccer journey and, and hopefully help them understand that this is a good step for them. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be great. I think this is a, a staff that is, um, this, this, you know, this group of mentor coaches really have experience, a lot of experience, like you mentioned, as first team players for the Crows, guys like Derek, guys like Tyler, yourself got a little bit of professional playing experience, some a ton of collegiate playing experience here from across the country. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I think these guys are going to, these guys are going to be participating in a, in a draft for the mm-hmm. season's team formation, right? So it's time to they're gonna have to pick teams and and kind of craft what they what, what, what <laughs> yep. be, which is gonna be interesting to see. And uh, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> it, I'm sure that everyone is is gunning for you, John, trying oh, to absolutely. turn him into the perennial relegated coach, which would be really funny. Two 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 years in a row would mean that you'd have to earn a, another fake trophy or something, and maybe <laughs> some sort of a some sort of a memento, like a signed future jersey from all the all the other no, players. dude. I'm gonna make sure it's Jonah. I'm gonna make sure that he what? he takes full responsibility. Um, but uh, I I think the main thing to think about Nate is that, and one of the main focuses that I I have as being a mentor coach is really instilling upon these players like the 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 little things like update your team snap, don't be late, you know, uh, like all the things that make our that we we call in the the brotherhood the buy-in that guys have to have in order to mm-hmm. make it to the next level. And I think that that's a lot of the, a lot of the things, if you look at the, 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 the other mentor coaches um, outside of myself, who can just tell them like, Hey, <laughs> this is how it works here. Um, but you look at Tyler, Jonah and, and Derek, they're the guys who are always update, updated on team snap. They, they come early to get warmups in. Like they're, they're vocal with everyone, you know, when they're playing, like those little things. And I think that it's great to have this, this side of the program that Jeremiah has plugged into it, into show, showing like the younger group, like these guys, these guys are playing where you ultimately want to, or should want to be, um, listen to them. Like, they're not just like some blowhard who's getting paid. They're volunteering and they're doing it because they want to continue within the club and make the club stronger. So I'm a big yep. proponent of this part of it. Yep. Well, the seven, the futures league is going to kick off in earnest. The seven V seven 
portion of it will begin um, in February, February 14th. And the way that it works is three group stage games, and they're going to compete in a semifinal and a final. That's going to that's going to lead up to uh, what will then be the UPSL season starting in May. So uh, all games, if you're interested in the futures and you really want to see what these kids can do, uh, all those games will be recorded and put online every week for the fans to watch on YouTube. Um, definitely for now closed to in-person public viewing, but all of the futures matches from last year are on YouTube and that shouldn't change. Right. So you can check that out mm -hmm. at the city's YouTube page. All right, Nate. So we're at that. We're at the last segment of the show here, and there's a lot to unpack. But we'll try to. It's kind of a classic old granddad rant. It is a real good old granddad rant, and I I didn't have old granddad. I had Jay Carver today. Um, but we have a fe a federation election. Uh, news in the soccer sphere came out last week that it is once again time, friends, when a leader of our country's soccer future is put in charge to further ruin things and delay <laughs> us catching up with the rest of the world. And the pure shit housery uh, this goes around is so outrageous that you couldn't put like the best people in Hollywood from a writer's room perspective in a room and then come out with a story like this. So current president Cindy Parlow Cohn um, will be running for re-election, which is not a shocker because she seems to be the total lapdog of the people who really pull the strings behind the scenes. So why would you not? Why, why, why would you put another candidate out there? You just want to put the person you know. Mm -hmm. um, so for those of you who don't know her, um, she's the first ever female president of our federation. But before that, she did have a very decent soccer career um, coming out of North Carolina. She's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's part of that storied 1999 World Cup women's winning side. Um, continued to play pro herself and then uh, had a brief stint as the head coach of the Portland Thorns, taking them to the uh, the title uh, in 2013, and then she was inducted into the, the U.S. National Soccer Hall of Fame in 2018. So not, you know, not a bad day in the sunlight, right, Nate? Like, um, you know, when, where things go south for old Cindy, <laughs> and here's where it gets fun, uh, one would think that she'd be the perfect person to advocate for the women's game and the women's team, who she was part of and likely wrapped up, uh, and, and but she was also wrapped up in, like, the brutal – equal pay lawsuit with the Federation um, towards the beginning of her tenure, seeing that she was a member of the national women's program herself and likely had to feel some of the same setbacks, especially when you talk about how the fact that she, she was part of the program in the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, but the same kind of stuff that the, the, that the chief likely faced is the same stuff that the current U uh, U.S. women's national team squad is. So, um, well, she seemed like, to give a shit for about 30 seconds stating in her first press conference that she was appointed um to the job um to be one of um you know to act as as uh, the president to apologize for how the old regime responded to that lawsuit um, yeah and she she specifically stated um the offensive assertions made by the federation that do not represent our core value uh, our core values so yeah, you should watch the documentary lfg on hbo if you haven't seen it totally should well, what followed that like 30 seconds of giving a shit uh, was her completely dismissing the equal pay portion of the lawsuit and saying that the women are well taken care of, even though they have outperformed the men's team on the field and, and make well under half of what the men do. Uh, instead, here is what they got from her. Um, she specifically stated um, 
the deal with the uh, the deal with the world champion American women and the sport and U.S. soccer governing body calls for better charter flights, hotel accommodations, venue selection, and professional staff support uh, to that of the men's team. So took out the whole equal pay thing and was like, "Hey, you get you you don't have to fly commercial. You yeah. can actually get a better hotel. You don't have to play at a fucking park." And you know what? Everyone but the players, um, as far as the staff's concerned, will will get everything that the men do. So, <laughs> except for the players. And then she also stated, I hope that the women uh, and their lawyers see that we're taking a new approach. We, <laughs> we want the women's team, as well as their, loyal, their lawyers, to see that we want to move in a different direction. We want to have a different relationship with them. We want to work together. And I think they're starting to see that. And we have to continue down this path. Seems like a real peach, huh, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, like you said, you know, she started maybe a little, maybe there were some assumptions made because like, she's hey, a woman. We're gonna put a, yeah, we're going to put a woman in. And yeah. She should, she should probably get it. But at the same time, like, she still is there at the behest of, yeah, at the behest of the powers that be. And so, it's 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 just really hard, I think, for some people with money at the top of this organization to to admit that the failures of the men's game, which would you know, which which would have to be a step in saying the women need to get paid more. Right. Uh, right. And I think when you talk about people that are unwilling to accept the failures of the men's game, John. We we've got a perfect segue into who's running against who's our friend who's our good old buddy that's running against <laughs> Cindy. Uh, Nate, this the this one one challenger um, and this and is just one shit, oh, yeah, just one. There's only one, and this this is where the shit can't be. It, it's it, it sounds made up, but it's real. It's none other than form, the former president who was who was in his mind, gracefully resigned due to uh, uh, how he handled the U.S. Women's National Team lawsuit so poorly that um, that person is none other than Carlos Cordero. <laughs> That's um, crazy. Yeah, like, you can't make that shit up. Like, okay, <laughs> let me unpack I mean, like I said, Carlos is the guy that basically got us to where we were, right? I mean, when you think about, especially the approach to the women's game, Carlos Cordero, uh, as the face of U.S. soccer, was the one happen. Yeah. that yeah. was shutting down any attempt by the women to get any for for equal pay, for equal treatment, for for any of that. Just in the end, completely shitting the bed and making U.S. soccer look uh, a laughing stock in how they how they dealt with this with the yeah. lawsuit from the women. Yeah, he likely was the guy who was like, you can stay in a Motel 6, you have to fly mm-hmm. commercial. And you'll uh, like it. <laughs> you'll like it. Um, you you can have bagels at the team meals, but you can't have anything to put on it. Um, <laughs> like that type of shit. But well, anyways, Nate, under this turd's watchful eye, we not only on the men's side screwed up so many things and didn't qualify for, for our first World Cup since 1986, um, but he was a spearhead for all the awfulness that was the reason and the meat behind the discrimination and inequality lawsuit with the women um, that all ultimately just landed on Parlo Cohen's lap was like, fix this. Um, 
Where I do give him credit is that he, he stated in disgrace, I take responsibility for the offensive sexist and misogynistic legal filings that, degener uh, that, that degenerated the very same women's players lauded as excellent and visionary champions to, uh, to young people, young women inspiring to one day follow in their footsteps. So he said the right thing in his like opening statement for like his, his appointment or for his, 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 um, his platform. So give him that, like someone drafted that for him, like clearly. And they're like, you have to say this. Um, so he said it, but, in, but his recent remarks, um, he stated that he has spoken to each member of the U S soccer board of directors, and they are unhappy with Parlo Cohn, um, and how she's handled her time in charge and the game, as well as the higher level leaders of us soccer are in dire need of change. <clears throat> yeah, I would agree with that. But it doesn't mean that she fucked everything up, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you had a big hand in this. So there's a lot to unpack <laughs> here. Um, but let me boil it down to this. Um, who the fuck does this guy think he really is, Nate? Does he really, like, think and feel that all is forgotten in his only two years in charge? Like, he initially ran on a platform of change and got elected on a platform of change. And that was shown to be nothing of the sort and relied no. heavily on shitting on Sunil Gulati, his predecessor, who despite his own massive issues, was in charge of the golden age of soccer on both the men's and women's side. And I'll say that, uh, caveat that, on paper. Um, but Cordero pledged, um, if re-elected, he al um, aligned with what Parlo Cohn is already seeking, which is investing in all federation members, which that goes down to youth soccer, um, inclusive governance, hosting men's and women's World Cup, World Cups in the United States and ensuring equal pay um, as he campaigns on those four core pillars. He then eroded in his initial statement um, from his campaign announcement by claiming that the U.S. soccer uh, would be withdrawing their bid from hosting the 2027 World Cup, but bidding hasn't been done, been like happened yet. So he immediately like within his statement of like, I'm going to run on this, totally backpedaled like nope i i didn't no we're not doing that um so great start pal um <clears throat> so what yeah what is really new here aside what's the difference i mean if if he's saying i'm going to do the same thing that she's doing or that she wants to do right right where's the differentiator besides there's nothing, I, I, mean, there's, I screwed up <laughs> there's there's nothing new um besides kicking up the very dark past a very dark period for the federation at the time where we're really trying to move forward and i i, I don't get it um mm -hmm. but, but i mean like to, I, go ahead it feels like john the difference is like there is this unspoken difference between the two in that he's uh carlos Cordero is coming back and saying i'm i'm all for everything she's for but remember i didn't fold to the women yeah you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's kind of it feels to me like the unspoken, the unspoken point that he that he is in his camp is making, which is pretty disgusting. It is, and it's like, it's like he's he's. I honestly I don't know how this guy's got some big big nuts, dude, to be able to <laughs> to think that like he can just like I mentioned he can just like jump back in and everyone's gonna forget what happened, you know? Like so. My final thoughts on this are, are pretty simple. It is not the time from a sporting perspective to redo the same shit with the same people. And I think that's pretty clear, right? Like mm -hmm. not qualifying for the World Cup on the men's side, like that was a big that was a big thing. Because 
in my opinion, and I, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but we should always get out of CONCACAF and, and qualify oh, yeah. for a World Cup. It'd be automatic. Like, literally, almost automatic. Yep. Um, the whole stuff with the women women's team is is it and i say disgusting because i i can't find another word for it um it's just not it's not great and and in the time we're living in like it's not it's not the time where we should be going back to the 1950s right like no we 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 should be like when everyone else is watching the documentary that was put out and they're thinking like what the hell like how can how can this be a thing when everyone else outside of that boardroom is thinking that maybe you should actually take a concerned effort in fixing it, right? Like mm-hmm. if it, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, it's a fucking duck, man. Like there's no, there's no other way around it. So um, it, it's not the time to go backwards. I really believe that what's needed is that person that's totally different and maybe even like totally radical. Um, we've seen it in, in other, in other countries um, at least on the men's side and the women's side, it's, it's kind of coming up in other countries. Um, I look at England, England is doing it. I think the right way, Canada also doing it the right way, Australia, um, France. Um, and if you think about like how misogynistic the, the, the aura is around the, the French soccer federation, um, they figured it out. We can figure it out. So you kind of need that radical person to, to come in. That's totally different one that has new ideas, but also willing to accept the fact that our, our, our soccer leadership in this country needs to be realistic about rebooting things um, and stop being pretenders. Like, don't think that we're good. I mean, yes, we've won multiple World Cups on the women's side. We've won multiple uh, gold medals in the Olympics, but we've done kind of fuck all on the men's side, except for one season where Bruce Arena caught lightning in a bottle and took us almost to the World Cup semifinals. So it's like, let's not pretend that we're this powerhouse of soccer. We truly aren't. Um, so we need to to really look at that shift of mindset to stop being a pretender and understand that we are so way behind the successful countries on both sides of the ball, men's and women's, and 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 do right by both sides. So don't think of one and not think of the other. Don't treat one different than the other. It, it's the same stuff. It's it's making sure that your players are well taken care of. It's mm-hmm. making sure that you're you're focusing on the little things. It's making sure that you have a, a consistent uh, quality pipeline from a youth perspective. It's all the same shit that Minneapolis City's doing. It's just a smaller scale, right? Like <laughs> we don't have a women's yeah. side, but but we're looking at that. Um, so learn from those who are out in front of the games, the game, fix the massive problems that are in the youth soccer system and work your way up cleaning the garbage uh, is, is what I, what I think. Like start with the ground floor in youth, go to amateur, go to semi-professional, professional, national. That, that's the only way I see that we can move out of the shadows and really become the ones holding the spotlight. Well, friends, That'll do it for tonight's show. As we embark on our sixth year already, it is time that we understand that you really don't listen to this part of the show and you likely close whatever <laughs> application you're listening to right now. So uh, our new show close is going to be simple and quick and easy. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our wonderful show sponsor, footballstadiumprints.com. If you're in the market for supremely, supremely curated soccer-focused graphic design on anything from mugs to T-shirts, 
head over to footballstadiumprints.com and fill your cart. Don't forget to use the code CROWS10 for 10% off everything you purchase. And remember, all U.S. orders ship from right here in the United States, so there's no international shipping charges. If we've said it once, we've said it 198 times exactly. Minneapolis City is a 501c3, so consider getting that tax deduction through a charitable gift to the club to keep the ship we have built afloat. If you're interested in getting a hold of us, we've made it simple. You can go, you can hit the club up on Twitter at MPLSCitySC, through the show at The People's Pitch on Twitter, or via email podcast at gmail.com. And that's all for this week's HodgePodge of a show. I have been Nate. That was John. Hey, uh... <laughs> Listen to John, man. Don't get COVID. It sucks. It and sucks. Uh, it's because if you get COVID, you basically you got hooked. Yeah. Get